Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. So it's good to hear people who sound uh, very similar to myself. That's a kind of unusual thing uh, when you live uh, in uh, the UK, but I hope the video was a blessing to you. I apologize, it was like a badly dubbed video there. It was a little bit off the, uh, the, the video and the audio. But um, all of the people in the video uh, are people who, many, many have been a part of our ministry, some part of other ministries. Uh, but what I wanted to do with the video is let you know that the Lord is working. Because sometimes when you hear about a place like Europe, you think uh, that is very difficult and uh, nobody's getting saved and Nothing's happening, but each one of these individuals uh, is a testimony to the power of the gospel in their lives. And I think that uh, Satan really wants to discourage us and make us think that evangelism doesn't work, uh, that if you invite somebody to the Easter services next week, they'll probably not come. Uh, But the truth of the matter is the gospel still works. Uh, Not everybody that hears is going to receive it, but there are those who will. And uh, that's what we found in the UK is that uh, it's not easy, and there have been many, many challenges, but the Lord is always working in someone's life. Uh, years ago, whenever uh, we were uh, kind of at a difficult point in our ministry, um, when we were uh, missionaries in Northern Ireland, uh, we were there for about nine years. We've been in England now for the last eight years, and actually was wrong. We've been married almost 19 years, so thank the Lord. Nobody tell my wife if you meet her. I mean, like when people ask my anniversary, I literally cannot get it right. I get so nervous, you know. Uh, Our first deputation video, I gave the date wrong in the video. Uh, So it was just kind of uh, a thing I do. But anyways, um, when we were there in Northern Ireland, I started writing a weekly update. And, uh, you know, there were some days we would have nobody come to church. But uh, we we would always have something to praise God for. There was always someone that the Lord was working in their hearts and lives. And so I hope the video is a blessing to you. Um, I want to ask you to turn, we're going to be in a passage in, in 1 Samuel in a minute, but I want to ask you to go to um, Acts chapter 14 real quick, uh, just to kind of explain a little bit about what we're doing, about what our goal is as missionaries. Uh, it's good to have my son Grant with me, my wife, uh, Terry, and our two daughters uh, who are 13 and 11. They're actually still in uh, the UK, they're in England there, we're just back for a short uh, trip for a conference uh, that our home church is having there in Georgia, as well as visiting my family and being here with you tonight. Um, but I wanted to share a little bit about what our goal is, what we're doing. And uh, here in Acts chapter 14, Paul, the apostle, and Barnabas are finishing up their, fir- their, um, uh, their first missionary journey. And uh, the Bible says in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, They returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So here we read what they did. And this is a a very concise summary of the work of 
missions, of biblical missions. If you notice there, there's gospel preaching. Uh, then uh, there's teaching, and that's uh, the discipleship aspect of getting people grounded in their faith. Uh, there's confirming the souls of the disciples, helping people to grow and be established, uh, exhorting them to continue, uh, letting them know it's not going to be easy. There's going to be tribulation. And then uh, ordaining elders and commending them to the Lord. And so that's uh, the goal of what we're doing as missionaries. Uh, so just to kind of share with you a little bit about our ministry, when we moved um, it to Northern Ireland in 2004, uh, we uh, began to pray about an area uh, to start a church. And so there was a city there, the city of Derry, um, or Londonderry, depending on whether you're from a Catholic background or a Protestant background. Uh, this city had about 100,000 people, and there was a, it was divided by a river. Uh, you, the, video, the river was in the video uh, when James was speaking. But basically, on one side of the, the river was mostly Catholic, uh, pretty much completely Catholic area, and there was not one uh, good uh, church there. I mean, pretty much nothing happening there. And so we uh, went there and we began to try to plant a church there. And it was, it was literally the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my life. Uh, it was a very, very challenging uh, place to try to plant a church. And the church uh, now is over 10 years old. Um, it's still very small, but um, we praise the Lord. God did a number of miracles, including uh, raising up a man to become the pastor, an Irish man, uh, helping us to buy a building uh, for them, a house that we've, that's been converted. And uh, so that church, in many ways, is kind of like, if you look in this verse here, it's, it's sort of at the, uh, I guess you'd say, is at the end of the missionary uh, work in the sense that it's uh, totally you know, unsupported from the outside and they have a pastor. And so in a sense, we've commended them to the Lord. Um, so whenever that, uh, that happened, we began to pray about the next step. And because Northern Ireland is part of the UK, uh, UK, United Kingdom, is made up of England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, um, we became aware of the need in, uh, in other parts of the UK, in England in particular. And so um, we prayed and we really felt like the Lord was redirecting us then uh, to move uh, to to. England, particularly to London. And so we moved there in 2013. And again, we began to seek the Lord's direction for an area to start a church. Uh, in the UK, there, is, uh, there are definite remnants of uh, days when there were good, solid churches. And so, you know, when you go into a town, um, a lot, you spend a lot of time um, evaluating where are there areas that need uh, churches planted. You, you could probably plant a church pretty much anywhere. But you know, looking for the neediest areas. And so God led us to an area of Southeast London and we rented a community center. God opened up the doors for us to uh, use a um, mission hall, which basically like a church building that uh, was empty. Uh, just a number of miracles the Lord did there. And so the church there in Southeast London, uh, which is Downham Baptist Church, uh, we started in 2014. And so that church now is about seven years old. Um, it's very exciting because in the video there was a, a Filipino guy named Ricardo and he just, he finished Bible college two years ago and he's coming to the church. Um, actually, when we get back, he will just arrive with his wife and daughter and they're going to become our assistant pastor 
uh, the church is going to begin paying him. And so that's a very big step to getting to that stage uh, to where we will have uh, somebody who the church is paying to be a pastor. And so that church is moving towards uh, being, you know, uh, what we would say indigenous or where it's, it has not, it's no outside support. Uh, and then kind of on the beginning of all of this is another area of um, the country that we are going to be starting a new church in just a few weeks. The last Sunday of April, uh, there's a, a town, uh, it's, it's called a town, it's a pretty big town, it has about 200,000 people, of Colchester, and that's an hour northeast of London. Um, actually, it's the town where Charles Spurgeon got saved. Uh, if you know the story about Charles Spurgeon, it was a snowy day, he was trying to get up into the town uh, to go to church, uh, but he couldn't make it in, and so he went to this little Methodist um, mission hall, and he went in, and there was very few people, but there was a man preaching, uh, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be saved. And that, that uh, service, he was, he was converted to Christ. So that's, that, that's the town, but uh, there's uh, very few, if any, uh, fundamental uh, churches there. And so um, God, through a series of circumstances, has um, put us in contact with a few people. They actually tried to start a church there without a pastor, without a missionary, um, like the first week of March of last year, which was the timing could not have been worse. <laughs> and so uh, they tried to stay together, but uh, it just it, it didn't work. But uh, we praise the Lord. God's given us a, an old brethren building there uh, that uh, we're going to be able to use for the church. And so, you know, the Lord has really just uh, blessed and, uh, and, and worked, and we just want to give Him praise and honor. And so uh, that's a little bit about our ministry. There's just lots of different things that happened over the years uh, that we praise Him for, but we are very, very thankful to serve Him there, and uh, we would appreciate your prayers. If you haven't got a prayer card, I hope you'll get one from our table. Uh, you can sign up back there to get email updates so you can know better how to pray and rejoice with us. But it's a blessing to be with you, and I appreciate very much uh, my friend, uh, Pastor Aaron, let me come uh, and, and share God's Word tonight. And so, if you have your Bibles tonight, will you turn uh, to the book of First Samuel? And if I say something that sounds a little bit weird, um, I'm going to blame it on the fact that I've learned uh, various forms of English. When you, when you move to England, you find out that we speak American and not English, and they're very different uh, languages. So I'm going to blame it on that not the fact that I'm just a weird person. So anyways, uh, if, I, if I can have you look in your Bibles in, uh, for, I will keep wanting to say 1 Samuel, okay? That's one of the things that's, that's, that's funny, and I think the President Trump got kind of uh, laughed at for that one time. But uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14, uh, if we can uh, begin reading a verse number 1 together. So 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse number 1. The Bible says that it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Hitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest, and Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock 
on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, the name of the other, Senna. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash and the other southward over against Gibeah. Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, Come, let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. There is no restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thine heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men. We will discover ourselves unto them. They say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to you. Then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. And this shall be a sign unto us. Let's uh, just pray, and then we'll get into this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity tonight to gather in your name. Thank you for the privilege to worship and praise you. Thank you for the testimonies you've heard tonight of how you are moving and working. God, I pray that you'll help us to be encouraged from your word tonight. Help us like Jonathan to believe you, to be willing to step out by faith, and to watch as you will work and do something for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've picked up this uh, story here in the book of 1 Samuel. And to really appreciate what happens here, what Jonathan does and what the Lord uses Jonathan to do, you have to understand a little bit of what the condition of Israel was. Israel was not a mighty nation at this stage. They were... Uh, very much a ragtag uh, group of people. They didn't really have much of an army. Uh, Saul was a new king. He'd only been on the throne a couple years. He had a standing army of 3,000 soldiers, but there were only two swords to go around between all of them. I guess everybody else just went out there with pitchforks and hammers and <laughs> farming implements. I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine uh, that. And so um, they had managed, in the beginning of chapter 13, uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, had taken on and defeated a garrison of Philistine soldiers. I don't know how many a garrison was. It's kind of a general term for a group of soldiers. But all that did was make the Philistines angry. And they rallied together, the Bible tells us in verse number 5 of 1 Samuel 13, they rallied together 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen or cavalry, and infantry like the sand of the sea. They said, you're going to take one of our garrisons, we will come up and teach you a lesson. And they have this multitude of soldiers that come up, and they camp right in the middle. This place called Michmash was right in the middle of the nation of Israel. It was actually where Saul was based. And so he retreats six miles south to a place called Gibeah, and when the Israelite soldiers see all the enemy come in, uh, most of them, they just run. They hide out in holes and they hide out in caves and some even switch sides and go over and join their enemies. I mean, this is a dire situation if there ever was. And yet, when you read the end of uh, chapter 14, everything is different. The nation of Israel has the Philistines on the run and Saul's uh, kingdom is going to be established. And so the, the difference between chapter 13, the beginning, and the end, 
uh, chapter 14 is, uh, could not, it could not be more different. And what, uh, what changes things is how God uses Jonathan and his armor bearer here in chapter 14. So we're going to look at this because very likely, though you may not have Philistines camped out in your backyard, uh, you may not uh, be uh, hiding out in a cave or a thicket, very likely there are, there are situations in your life that seem equally overwhelming, equally frightening. It could be someone in your family who's not a Christian. It could be some health issue. It could be some financial issue. It could be something to do with your future. It could be a number of different things. It could be something in the ministry. And we're looking at the situation, and it really doesn't seem possible. Saul's army is down to 600, and he is facing, you know, uh, probably nearly 100 to 1 odds against this enemy, and he doesn't know what to do. And you may feel that way as well. And I think uh, what God does in and through Jonathan can be a great encouragement to us tonight. So I want you to write down a few words tonight. The, number, the first thing I want you to write down uh, is the word dream. The word dream. If you notice in verse number 1, it says that it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. So Saul is really dragging his feet. It's not too different from, if you remember, whenever Goliath came up uh, a few chapters later. And Saul knows something needs to be done, but he's reluctant to do anything, I think really because he's afraid of, of being defeated. And so they are uh, meeting, they are deliberating, they are um, kind of para uh, paralyzed by analysis, you know, because they're just a bit concerned, I think, and a bit afraid. But Jonathan is going to secretly leave uh, the 600 soldiers that are left, and he's going to go out and take them on. But before we look at that, I want to ask the question and think about what would motivate Jonathan to do this? Was he just, uh, you know, an idiot? Did he just enjoy uh, risking his life? Was he ambitious? Was he thinking, I want to go down in history and be written about in Samuel's book of courage? What was it that motivated Jonathan? Well, if you look down to verse number 6, uh, we uh, can see here that Jonathan is someone who uh, is motivated by the Lord and his love for the Lord. Because in verse number 6, it says that Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, Come and let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. Jonathan wasn't trying to make a name for himself. Jonathan wasn't uh, just foolish. Jonathan is someone who really believed that the Lord would work. Jonathan was a young man who was sitting there looking at the situation and I think began to dream that God might use him to do something about it. He began to imagine that the Lord just might use him to make a difference. And that's what he says here. He says it might be that the Lord will work for us. And that's where it begins. We, need to, we begin with a dream. We begin 
uh, with an idea, we begin with a desire to see the Lord do something with our lives. And I would ask you tonight, what is your dream? What is, what is your desire? If you could have anything in this world, what would it be? Now, we dream lots of different dreams. Uh, we dream about, you know, when you're a young person, you dream about the day, you know, that maybe uh, you'll get a girlfriend or you'll get a boyfriend if you're a girl or you'll get married or you'll get your first car, you'll get your license, you'll, you'll get a good job, you'll get a house, you'll finally pay for the house, you'll get some kids, you know, you'll get that promotion, whatever it might be. And so we have all these dreams, but Jonathan wasn't dreaming about those dreams. If he was, he wouldn't have been there. He'd have been getting out with everyone else. He'd have been thinking, this, 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 is a lo- this is the losing team. Let's go over to the winning team. But Jonathan has a dream of something bigger. And the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, that it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. As a, as a young person, I remember sitting in church. missionary came to our church. He began to share about the needs around the world, people around the world who would live their entire lives never hearing the gospel, dying and going to hell, and God began to work in my life. God began to put something in my heart. If you'd have met me as a, as a young person, uh, you would have thought, this guy will never preach. I was the, uh, probably even when uh, Pastor uh, Aaron met me, I was a very, very shy, but I'm telling you, like you would say my name and I would go 37 shades of red. I was just the most backward, socially awkward person you would meet. I, and I, but, but God put something in my heart, and I thought, you know, it might be that God would use even me with all of my social awkwardness and all of my introvertedness, that God might do something with me. And I want to keep dreaming. I want to keep believing. One of the things that happens is as you get older is you realize, well, that was, that was, young, that was young ambition. You know, that was just, that was, I was a bit naive back then because the reality is it's hard and you get beat up and you get chewed up and you get spit out and you get mistreated and all this thing happens. But we need to be people who dream that God would do something. And we need to be asking God to work in us. And the truth of the matter is, if you're saved, very likely God is trying to work in you and God is trying to put desires in you. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thine heart. So would you say, God, help me dream. Help me dream dreams that are bigger than the dreams that the world promises and that the world looks after, dreams bigger than just what this, what this world has to offer, but that God will use our lives to do something that would impact eternity. What dreams and desires is God putting in your heart? So there's a dream. Secondly, you can write down the word act. What I like about Jonathan is he was not content to stay. He wasn't a dreamer who just had all these ideas but but would never put them into practice. He was a man of action. Because in verse number one, he says, come and let us go over. Let's go over to the other side. He was weary of all the waiting. He was tired of all the talk. His father, uh, we're told in verse number two, is tarrying in Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which, you know, in the context, uh, I think is a little bit of 
irony. You know, he's just kind of chilling there under his pomegranate tree, having a conversation with his generals. And Jonathan is like, this isn't going anywhere. Come on. Let's just go and see what what can happen. And if you were watching Jonathan, you'd have thought, what an idiot. What is this guy, I mean, what's he going to do? What, what is this two, two, you know, one guy in armor bear against these thousands of soldiers? But Jonathan's like, I'd rather go down trying. I'd rather go down attempting something than sitting here talking about it, tarrying, eating pomegranates with dad. So he just goes. He doesn't actually criticize, but he's just like, we're going to try something. And so he heads out, and he is going to be a man of action. You know, dreams... Real dreams of faith are going to lead to action. In the book of Hebrews, the great chapter of faith, we notice that whenever they believed, they acted. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham went out. And so when we really believe and we really uh, trust God, it is is going to uh, manifest itself in action. If you really believe the gospel will work, you're going to try to get somebody here next Sunday for Easter Sunday. If you really believe uh, that God is working in hearts, you're going to invite somebody. Many times we talk ourselves out of it uh, before we even give God a chance. You know, it just might be that God will use you. It just might be that God would work through you. Why not try? And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, Let's give it a shot. It can't be any worse than staying here uh, watching these uh, Philistines just laugh at us, watching the Philistines send out uh, raiding parties, and and they're going throughout the land, taking all that's valuable and terrorizing our, our fellow countrymen. They said, we're going to do something about it. I don't even know if Jonathan knew exactly what he was going to do. I don't think he had much of a plan. But his plan was... I'd rather be trying to do something than doing nothing. And that's what's interesting, you know, is often there are people who want to give you advice or criticize your idea, but they don't have a good idea in return. Like, well, I don't think that's going to work. You're like, okay, well, what, what would you suggest? Well, I don't know, but that doesn't, that's not going to work. You're like, well, that's such a blessing. You know, I really appreciate you, you, you uh, uh, offering all the helpful advice. And so, but Jonathan says, I'm going to, Try something. And so he acts. The third thing we notice is risk. He's taking a risk. And it's interesting in the passage, um, in verses 4 and 5, there's a lot made of these two sharp rocks. It's kind of like there was basically a cliff on either side, one on the north, one on the south. Uh, It seems they were kind of a well-known, it was a well-known area because they had names. And it's like they are at a point of no return. There, there may be, you know, for us, it would be us sitting there, hearing the preaching of God's word, knowing what we're supposed to do, and then face with a decision. Will I put in practice what God is speaking to me about? Will I take an invitation? Will I take a gospel track? Will I uh, step out and say, yes, I will surrender my life to the Lord? Will I have that conversation with my family member or my friends? 
Will I step out? And so you're, you're there and you're at the point of no return and you step out and you say, I'm going to do something. That's where Jonathan was. He's about to take a risk because when he comes out between these two cliffs, now the Philistines are going to see him. They're going to know he's there. And so look what he says in verse number 6. He says, come, let us go over under the garrison, the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be the Lord will work for us. There's no restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. And so he is about to go out, and the armor bearer says to him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. You know, there is no restraint to the Lord. We tend to focus on restraints. You know, as a missionary to the United Kingdom, there's a lot of restraints. Everything is crazy expensive. People there are highly educated. What can, what can we give out that will make people come to church? Um, they have had Christianity. Well, we know all about that. We had it RE in school. We, we learned about that. That's, you know, you're an idiot if you believe in God. All these restraints. Being even, you know, some countries, and I guess maybe it's getting fewer, I don't know, but some countries, if you're from America, that can be interesting. In England, they're kind of like, oh, American, you know, one of the, one of the colonialists have, have come back to the mainland, you know. They're not that impressed. And you can look at all the restraints and you can think, I mean, this is, this is an effort in futility. There are many restraints for us, but there are no restraints to the Lord. The Lord is not restrained. The Lord doesn't need talent. The Lord doesn't need wealth. The Lord doesn't need uh, many. He doesn't need uh, um, numbers. The Lord just needs willingness. He just needs a Jonathan. He just needs a David. He just needs somebody who would say, I will be willing to take a risk. And it might just be that if you would step out and if you would say, I will be a missionary, I will answer the call, I will uh, step up in the church and do this, I'll begin to give in this way, I'll begin to serve in this way, it just might be that the Lord would do something. And that is a, the, the potential there is, is really unlimited. And you're going to see that God is going to use these two uh, young men who don't have much of a plan, who everybody would have, have uh, criticized to turn things totally around. You see, it, mu it might just be that if you would say yes to the Lord, God would do something that would bring honor and glory to his name. And so they're taking a risk, and they're stepping out. And you know what I love about uh, the armor bearer is that he's right with Jonathan. Look at verse 7 again. This, is, this needs to be what we need to say when we see people taking a risk for God. We need to say, do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Now, maybe not quite like that, because they might not know what you mean. But we need to say, I'm with you. I've got your back. I'm with you, pastor. I'm with you, uh, Sunday school teacher. I'm with you, deacons. I'm with you, young people. I mean, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. I'm so thankful as a young person uh, growing up in church that when I surrendered to the Lord to be a missionary, that my church had my back, that my parents had my back. It was hard enough to step out. It was even harder if the, if the other people that are with you would, are criticizing. So, so be with those that want to serve the Lord and, and believe with them and, 
and rally together around your pastor, around others who are serving the Lord and leading the way and say, we are with you. Do all that is in your heart. We're behind you. So what is God leading you to risk? When's the last time you took a risk for God? When's the last time you, you did something that, that caused a bit of fear, a bit of uncertainty, a bit of, I don't know if I'm up for this. I don't know if, you know, I, this is over my head a little bit. I'm not sure this is what I'm meant to be doing. I'm kind of, you know, I'm swimming here in water that is very, very deep. When's the last time you did that? I mean, a Christian life is not meant to be a safe thing. When Jesus said, you know, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. It was like, this is all in. And so if you're living a safe Christian life, you're not really living where, where God wants you. He wants you to be stepping out. He wants you to be taking some risk, not always playing it safe. And so we need to take some risk. And then we see trust. We see trust. Look at verses 8 to 12. Jonathan uh, said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let me put it in the, sort of uh, the way I would say it. He says, we're going to do this. We're going to go over to these men and we're going we're gonna to step out and we're going to say, hey, here we are. We're going to discover ourselves. We're going to be like, hey, here we are. And uh, he says, what we will do is if they say come, uh, if they say stay there, we're coming to you, then we'll know that, we're, uh, that, that we shouldn't go and fight them. But if they say come up to us, then we will know God wants us to go and that the Lord is going to deliver them. It's kind of like a, like Gideon's fleece a little bit. They're sort of saying, if this happens, this is what we'll do. If this other thing happens, this is what we'll do. This isn't really the, the, the best way for us today to find out God's will, okay? So, but you got to remember, this is um, a lot different. They didn't have the completed Bible. We don't need fleeces anymore. You don't need to be like, well, I got a phone call, you know, about this. So, and uh, you, we, we have the Word of God, okay? So this isn't the, the advised way to find God's will, but... Get, or, or not Gideon, uh, Jonathan is trusting God. And so they come out and they say, here we are. And in verse 11, they say, oh, the Hebrews have come out of the holes where they've hid themselves. Come on up and we'll show you a thing. Come up here, we'll teach you a thing about fighting. And look what Jonathan says to his armor bearer in verse 12. He elbows him, he says, come on after me. The Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. See, Jonathan believed in God. He knew that he was an Israelite. He knew that he served the true and the living God. It's very similar to when David goes down in the valley to face Goliath, and Goliath is mocking him and laughing at him. And David says, you come with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the God of Israel. And, he's, and he is believing God, and Jonathan is believing God. And I think whether Jonathan had a direct word from God or not, uh, God looked at Jonathan and said, we're going to have to do something to help that guy because he's just crazy enough to believe that I'm going to intervene and God does intervene. Are you out there? Are you doing something where, uh, where in a sense, God has to help you? I promise you, you know, I have done so many dumb things as a missionary, it would be embarrassing to tell you, and tell you them. You would laugh your head off, you know, and you'd be like, that guy, he shouldn't be a missionary. Uh, it, you know, I have made a lot of mistakes, but any time I've stepped out, God would do something, and, and he's done miracles. And it, it really wasn't because 
I know what I'm doing. It's just because I think God was like, we have to help that guy. And I think, I think about what could have happened if I would have stepped out more and what might happen if I will keep stepping out. And so if we will trust God, God will come through. And you know it. If you've ever believed God for something and you've trusted God, God does come through. So trust and believe God and God will work. Then uh, two more things very quick, fight. They had stepped out by faith. They had taken a risk, but it involved a battle. Verse 13 and verse 14, Jonathan climbs up now on his hands and his feet, and his armor bearers after them, and he, is, and he is taking out one of two swords that they have. They are falling before him, and the armor bearer is finishing them off. And they climb up, and as they do, the first slaughter that they make, the first uh, skirmish, we might say, at the end of it, over a half acre of land, there are 20 dead Philistine soldiers there. You know, they were stepping out by faith, but it, re it was a battle. And if we're going to step out by faith, it's not always going to be easy. It is going to feel like a war. And there's going to be all sorts of things happening. There's going to be all sorts of attacks. There's going to be all sorts of discouragement. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be beyond our own abilities, it is going to be a battle. So don't think that if you just say, yeah, I'll surrender to you, Lord, it's going to all be easy. You're in for a war. You're in for a battle because, you know, really the devil, uh, he's much more worried about those that are trying to advance the gospel than those that are just sitting quietly. The minute you step out, the minute you say, I'm going to do something for you, God, it's going to be hard. And it's going to be difficult. They physically had to climb. They physically had to take out their swords. They had to, they had to fight. I mean, I was thinking about the armor bearer. You know, he's having to, he's having to like, kill these guys. I mean, that, that, was the, that, was not, that was not for the faint of heart. And following the Lord is not for the faint of heart. The life of faith is not for the faint of heart. It's scary. It's risky. It's costly. But... When we step out, the last thing is we can watch. And we can watch what the Lord will do. Because in verse number 15, now there's a trembling in the host. The host just means the army. The whole Philistine army begins to shake. They're no longer laughing. They're no longer doubting. They're no longer mocking. Now they're shaking. And the field, the people, the garrison, the spoilers, they're all trembling. The earth begins to shake. God now begins to move. And God now begins to put fear into the hearts of the whole army. The earth is shaking. They begin to turn on one another in their fear. And this begins a great battle. And God does a tremendous thing to save Israel. Verse 23 says, The Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle passed over unto Beth-Avon. And I love that. I love that imagining that scene, it's a half acre of land. In the middle of it are Jonathan and his armor bearer who were laughed at, who were mocked, but nobody's laughing now. And the whole army watches as 20 men die and they begin to, they begin to get scared because something's, something's happening. You know, when you and I step out by faith, trust God, take a risk, some point, God begins to work. And we begin to watch God do miracles. We begin to watch God do things that, that are way beyond our power, way beyond our ability. And that is a, that is a wonderful, 
and amazing blessing that comes when we will uh, follow the Lord. So what would you dream for God? What dreams is God trying to put in your heart tonight? Maybe you're here and you're not saved. And uh, you don't even know what this is all about. The step of faith you need to take is a step of faith to believe the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. He's got a plan for your life that is far bigger than what this world offers. Maybe you're a Christian and you've just kind of been playing it safe. You've been kind of just staying, staying put, staying, you know, talking but not really acting. And God would speak to you and say, let's take some risks. We have, you know, Easter's coming up next Sunday. What a perfect time to take a risk for the Lord. Bring a visitor. Bring a family member. Invite somebody. Share the gospel with somebody. Let's pray together tonight. If God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll respond to him.